Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Andrew Muscoff here. I'm bringing you a podcast exclusive. Yes, this is the only place you will find this episode. I know you guys will be well aware of our YouTube channel and you guys might be thinking, hey, we've been here since the very beginning. What are you giving us? Well, once again, this episode right now can only be listened to in full on the Everything Is Black and White podcast, either on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. It's only in full right here. And it is a pleasure to introduce Apollo Hayes, who is a journalist for Football Italia. We're going to get the inside track on Newcastle United's first signing of the summer window, Sandro Tonali. Ladies and gents, this is introducing Sandro Tonali. It's very excited about this one. Let me introduce our guest, Apollo. Thank you very much for coming on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. How are you keeping? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, very happy to be here and excited to talk about Tonali. It's a pleasure to have you on and I'm sure our listeners are just as excited to get the inside track on Tonali from your good self. I want to take you right back to the start then. When you first heard of this potential deal in Newcastle's aim to take Sandro Tonali away from his boyhood club and move him to Tyneside, what were your initial thoughts? Because I think to many, it seemed a bit like a dream. Well, when I first saw the links, um, I think like a lot of people, it was quite easy to quickly discount them just as, you know, clickbait for Newcastle in the transfer market, seemingly linked with everyone. And we had that with uh, Nicola Barella at Inter. And so after that interest died off and I saw that Tonali emerged, uh, initially expected a similarish thing because Tonali is long-time Milan fan, been going to the stadium since he was a boy. Uh, he lowered his wages to, to push through the loan move to make it permanent. And it made sense that that why would Milan look to sell someone who seems to be, you know, an increasingly talismanic figure in the squad? Uh, and as the report started to gather steam, it suddenly made sense why Milan decided to sack technical director Paolo Maldini a month before. And it seemed to suggest a shift in certainly their, their transfer market goals. And then as soon as they, they showed that they were willing to listen to offers, it, it snowballed from there and, and it made a lot of sense. So it would be fair to say that, as you mentioned there, like the, the link to, to Nicolas Barella into Milan, when this first popped up, you were kind of sitting there thinking Newcastle United have got absolutely zero chance of getting Tonali into the black and white and, and on, on the time side. Yeah, it did seem unlikely for a few reasons. I mean, Milan are not without Champions League football. So it, on, on paper, Champions League was, was not really a factor. And then regarding the projects of the two clubs, Milan won the Scudetto, you know, two two years ago now. And, um, well, a year ago, I suppose, but last last season. And it made sense that he wouldn't he wouldn't leave that project, even though Newcastle is clearly growing and, and moving at a pace I think nobody really expected. Uh, it it would seem initially it seemed strange that that he would give up on possible uh, Serie A titles for top four fights in the Premier League and possibly trophies here and there. Now there's there's a bit of talk uh, about whether Barella was a smokescreen for Tonali. I mean, what do you think about how Newcastle's interest became firm? Do you think they always uh, intended to maybe get Tonali and they used Barella as a smokescreen, or do you think that you know, for perhaps from your understanding, that Barella was actually a serious target 
and then Tonali came, emerged as an option later on. Uh, do you think there was a bit of mind games potentially um, within the chase for Tonali? There could have been mind games. I think Barella's work last season, and especially in the Champions League, made him a very attractive idea. And it's no secret that Inter are seemingly endlessly now in a delicate financial position. So on paper, a sale could have suited all parties. But I think Newcastle most likely, in my opinion, uh, just sounded out a move for, for Barella to see you know, the likelihood of one. Were quickly told no and then started to to consider other options and they probably expected something similar with Tonali maybe and when Milan or when Milan's owners Redbird showed they were open to a deal that's when things really started to to pick up yeah I mean, we've got a saying on on Tyneside which is shy Ben's getting out so you've got to ask the question to be told no and Newcastle United have obviously done that and, and been told yes and again there's talk that really while he was was in the view of some kind of always on the list, top of the list for some. There was also a belief from some quarters that it was still very unlikely that Newcastle could A, persuade Milan to sell and B, persuade the player to come to Tyneside. You mentioned there Milan, uh, Inter Milan, potentially having some kind of financial difficulties. What is the financial situation like at EC Milan? And do you think this played a part in in EC Milan actually cashing in on Tenali? Well, it seems to be in a, a lot healthier place than it was five years ago. Uh, the Elliott US Investment Fund that took over, they did a very good job fixing the accounts and building the project that eventually led to the league title. So when Redbird took over last year for around 1.2 billion euros, they seemed to be in a strong position. It seemed to be a project gaining momentum and it might look like Milan could be that team of the 2000s that you see in the latter stages of the Champions League more and more. Um, but really, the, the big point, I think, is the decision to, to sack Maldini is really where, in a few years, we'll look back and that'll be the turning point for, for this current Milan project, I think. And just go in, in, into a bit more detail about that, because as I said, you did write a piece uh, kind of trying to pinpoint who's to blame for Tenali's exit. It, it seems from the outside looking in, and, I, and I, I say that with very limited knowledge of the situation at EC Milan, but it does seem a bit chaotic at the moment. Yeah, Milan are, the last five or six weeks have been in a real state of chaos. Uh, off the back of last season, winning the, the league title, the Redbird takeover occurred in the summer, and they had limited funds last year. They didn't spend too heavily. So their biggest investment was Charles de Catalare from uh, Club Bruges. And he didn't pay off this season. He was an anonymous figure, uh, clearly needs time to adapt and to, to grow into his role at Milan. And approaching this summer, Maldini clearly wanted more experienced arrivals to try and help them close that gap to Napoli because they really barely scraped, <clears throat> they barely scraped that fourth place finish, uh, massively helped by the, the point deduction handed to Juventus. So Maldini clearly wanted more experienced and ready players who could come in and make that instant impact. Whereas the idea, at least from the Italian media, is that Redbird were hoping for the classic younger players that you pick up on a cheaper deal, develop and then sell again. And uh, nobody really knows what happens for sure. <clears throat> but the idea is that uh, the meeting between the owner, Jerry Cardinale, and Maldini last month 
It was a very short meeting and Maldini was probably told there's no chance we'll be spending what you want and there's we'll be continuing with this younger player, cheaper, and then selling on for that greater profit down the line. And that was the end of the Maldini story. And, and, and do you think that Newcastle potentially got wind of the chaos within the corridors at EC Milan and have kind of seized the opportunity and have, have, have tried and successive, successively, successfully, easy for me to say, um, kind of acted upon that chaos and, and made the most of it with getting Tenali to Newcastle? Yeah, uh, that would make a lot of sense to me because um, the, the, the chaos is so obvious and so widely reported at this point. And a lot of their other top stars like Teo Hernandez or Rafael Leal or Mike Magnan are clearly not really available. They've got long contracts or they're, they're very marketable. They make such huge impact. Whereas with Tonali, whilst he is a great, great player and can do a lot, there is a level of stardom that he initially didn't have, you could say, maybe. And so... And- Oh, sorry, continue. Sorry, no, yeah, you know, I mean, that's quite that, that that's quite an, an interesting one because I, I was going to just make a point about the reaction because when this story first emerged, it was you know he he will never move to Newcastle. He's a really good player. Uh, then he's then he's obviously he's moved to Newcastle as the deal got closer to being confirmed. It was from some quarters um, of, of Milan fans and and. Uh, the the, um, the media over in Italy started to say, "Oh well, you know, the, the price tag is is way over the top." I'm just what I'm just thinking what you, what what you make of the the reaction from from those in Milan covering it and, and both supporting the, the the club. I think for the supporters, um, the 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 marketability and the stardom aspect are obviously not important. And Tonali was clearly one of those players that had the club in his heart, and that you there's pictures of him as a child in a Milan shirt, in with all the ultras and the stands at the San Siro. So that losing a player like Tonali is, would be as painful as Tottenham losing Harry Kane, even though Kane obviously has a much more obvious impact at, at Tottenham. Tonali was one of their own in some ways. And so losing that is, is a bitter blow, especially a month or less after their other famous talisman Maldini was shown the door. And from the the press perspective, the disbelief at first was was wide and was fairly shared. And I think that's just because of the nature of how the modern transfer market works nowadays, especially with the Newcastle investment. It's very easy to say they're interested in a player and you move from that. And I think that kind of, especially from a lot of the supporters, that did seem the initial impression was it's just another rich Premier League club ready to, to snap up the stars. Uh, and as things progressed, then the the blame game started to begin in the media and you could see there was that confusion with where this Milan project is going now under Redbird. And again, the Maldini sacking really has endlessly been referred back to as that decisive point where the strategy changed. Very interesting. And and I mentioned earlier in the show about persuading Tenali to leave Newcastle, uh, to leave AC Milan, sorry, as you mentioned, you know, a boyhood fan. It wasn't too long ago he was talking about never making the mistake of leaving AC Milan. I mean, what do you think persuaded him to actually go back on that and, and make the decision to become a Newcastle player? It's impossible to to say what they said behind closed doors, but the impression seems to be that 
once he became aware that Milan were interested in an offer and they were willing to discuss details, I think that does change a player's perspective because it's all well and good being as loyal as you possibly can be to a club. But if they're willing to to dump you off for a price, I think that would have an impact in how you view a move. And Newcastle, as I said earlier, are a very attractive project and they're clearly gaining a lot of momentum very quickly. And in that sense, Tonali can grow into, into that stardom level player in the Premier League at Newcastle. He can be the the, the, the first real sign that, that this is a longer-term thing and not just a flash in the pan for, for Newcastle. Yeah, it's a very, very exciting sign. The fact that he's only 23, he's, a, he's an international uh, player for Italy, he's got that Champions League experience. He seems to have experience and, and uh, kind of a, a wise head on him of someone quite a bit older than him. Like, you know, when you say he's 23 and you list off what he's done so far... I can see why Newcastle fans are very excited about him. Uh, how key do you think that experience of being an international player and the Champions League will will be for him to really hit the ground running in the Premier League? I think it'll make a, a difference. It will show that he's not uh, he's not wedded to the the tactical slower style in Italy. It's often parroted as a talking point, but there is a lot of truth to it. And I think Tonali's ability in the the Champions League and what he's shown with the national team show that he is really ready for that increased pace and, and the physicality as well. Because despite the hair and despite playing at Brescia, he's definitely more Gennaro Gattuso than he is Andrea Pirlo, for sure. And so that physicality aspect, I think, will help him really not just get bullied off the ball and, and feel too slow and sluggish. I think he'll keep up with the pace. How, how do you think he handled those kind of comparisons, you know, with with Pirlo? And I think I think himself, he's he's kind of come out and said he's he's more like uh, Gattuso. But you know, they're two big big names to be compared to. Um, how did he handle, you know, being compared to them? He seemed to relish it, really. I remember when he scored a wonderful free kick from an awkward angle, maybe 30, 35 yards for for Brescia, and he did look like the next Pirlo. He just really did. But when you watch him more and more, you can see that that grit and that sort of bulldog spirit that Gattuso had. And I think that's something that Newcastle fans will will really appreciate. And I'm not surprised that uh, he took publicly to discount the the comparisons with Pirlo because the hair and the club, it made it very easy. But I think he was aware very early on what kind of player he wanted to grow into. And it was a more active, engaged role than the the deeper lying playmaker that snipes off those wonderful passes, which he can do on occasion as well. Uh, you know, if you were to sign a, a Pirlo um, in his peak or Gattuso, you, you'd be talking probably something well uh, beyond 100 million. As it is, uh, Tonali has cost, we believe, uh, for the moment around our 50, 55 million. It could rise to a, a club record theme, we think. W- what do you make of the price tag? Because again, uh, there's been a few conclusions that Newcastle United have, have overpaid, whether that be, you know, they overpaid because they want they really wanted the player or whether Milan have applied the, the so-called Saudi tax on, on Newcastle. Um, what do you make of the, the, the price tags that have been moot mood? It's, it's difficult to say. I think there's a lot of factors with that price tag. Part of it is certainly the Premier League and possibly that Saudi tax you mentioned, just because I can't imagine... Juventus paying 80 million for Tonali if he'd have left in a year or two's time, for example. But at the same time, I think he does have the 
the capabilities to match and justify that price tag. It's just a case of how quickly he slots in and hits the ground running in the Premier League. Because his first season on loan at Milan, he was a teenager then, but his first season was slow and it wasn't that impressive. So he did drop his wages by about 400,000 euros to push through that loan and make it permanent. So I think that shows that even if he doesn't immediately shine, I think he would really put in that work and remain professional enough to to justify the price eventually. Let's go on to then his his attributes, uh, because a lot of people will be asking, you know, what exactly does he bring to Newcastle United? So what are his main strengths, uh, do you think? I think a big one is his flexibility. He's a very well-rounded player. He can play across the, the, the pitch. So defensively, very solid, often plays in a deeper position. But he's not afraid to go forward with or without the ball. And sometimes in games, you see him crop up on the left wing or on the outside of the box on the right side. And I think that will, will be a big difference in the Premier League, and especially with Eddie Howe's system. I think that level of flexibility will, will add another layer to Newcastle's attack and their, their defence when trying to deal with counter-attacks. Well, there is a lot of topic and a lot of debate about whether he's going to be the, the number six for Newcastle or whether he's going to play either side of, of a number six. Where would you foresee him playing, do you think, um, once the season starts? I think if you had a system with two deeper midfielders, I think he would work very well alongside that one of those. But I also think if you had a more uh, a deeper midfield, maybe longer across the pitch, I think he could play in a slightly more central position. But I would he he would never pop up in an attacking midfielder position in the sense of a, a number ten, for example. He'll always be in the centre, maybe a bit closer to the defence. But his his qualities show that he doesn't really doesn't really matter where you put him because he will kind of crop up everywhere at the end of the day. So it sounds like he's got a bit of a, an engine on him, which is which is good because Eddie Howe's style is very much about stamina and having that fitness to get up and down the pitch and, and you know to press the the opposition. And you're going to need to be fit and to have an engine on him. And it sounds like he does have that about him. Yeah, I would expect him regularly this season to be seen charging up the pitch on attacking moves and then suddenly charging straight back to, to help in the defence. Uh, he's never been a, a player that shies away from from effort or isn't keen to make a tackle or put himself in a position to try and do whatever he can and i think that will that will really enamor him to the to the fans and there's, there's a lot of excitement to see him line up alongside uh, bruno gomeresh who uh he's you know just been unbelievable since joining newcastle united um last uh two january's ago now um what, what what do you make of that kind of potential partnership? I mean, Newcastle tend to play with a with a three across the middle, so it'll most likely be Bruno uh, Tonali and one of Joe Linton, Willick, uh, Joe Willick, or Sean Longstaff. But as I say, that the excitement is about Bruno and Tonali. Uh, what what do you make of that potential pairing? I think that would be an incredibly strong pairing. I think they'll they'll complement each other really well. I think. On a personal level, I can imagine their characters gelling very well. And I think that's always important in these kind of partnerships. And I think there'll be a lot of times where one of them will contribute to a goal and you'll see them quick handshake, quick hug. There'll be there'll be a shared camaraderie there. I think the two of them together will be a force to be reckoned with in that in that deep position in the midfield. I think 
kind of the, the ability to switch as well is is what Eddie Howe wanted. So you know, if Bruno does go forward, then you have Tenali who can hang back and just cover him, and, and, and vice versa. So it's going to be interesting to see how that how that works. Um, and just in terms of Tenali's character and his application, what is that like? Um, you know, this Newcastle United side is is quite. Uh, Famous for or infamous, depending on which way you want to look at it, for uh, their, their shithousery, for want of a better phrase, uh, for winding up the opposition. Um, does he have a bit of that, a bit of that about him? I think he does, but I also think it won't be shown too often. Generally, from what I've seen, he's a very serious, dedicated professional. He's not he's not interested in the the personal affairs on the pitch as much as just doing what he has to do makes that crunching tackle and then picks the guy back up afterwards and on they go again. I can't imagine he'll be too tricksy and trying to get people booked and, and things like that. Be interesting to see how he fits in. Now, he was shown around uh, the stadium on Thursday. Uh, he had a whistle-stop chair and then he's, he's headed back to Italy. Um, now, of course, I, he even said in the interview, you know, seeing an empty stadium kind of doesn't compare to to when it's full, but he's seen the videos and he's seen photographs. He's looking forward to, to running out at St. James's Park. I guess playing in a venue like the San Siro um, will set him up quite well for, for what can be a, a daunting atmosphere at St. James's Park for, for many players. Yeah, I don't think he'll struggle with the, the fans at all. I think he'll be right in his element in that rocking sort of excited stadium vibe. I think he'll he'll slot right in. He'll be enjoying himself on the pitch. And already, you know, he bumped into to a few fans within minutes of touching down on on Tyneside. And you know, it is a bit cliche, but some players can't handle the attention that comes with with playing for Newcastle. You know, you can't exactly pop down the shops and get it get a bottle of milk and, and expect not to be uh, you know captured by somebody. Um, do you think he will handle the culture and everything that comes with playing for Newcastle United being it being the new hero for for the Toon Army. I think the the fan interactions especially will be will be fine for him. I think he's been quite used to being uh, a very famous figure in in Milan already. But I think the only concern, uh, and it does seem to endlessly be a concern with Italian players, is if he can adapt to the culture and the weather and the way things are in in the northeast compared to uh, Milan. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we've seen with Gianluca Scamacca at West Ham after a year there, he's already ang- reportedly angling for a move back to Italy. So that would be my only slight concern is that if he's really able to to fully invest in in his new home. If he does and he buys into it and he's finding himself at home, is that are there any concerns about him on the pitch being able to adapt to the Premier League? Because again, it is the view of of, of, of some that it's just a totally different league, isn't it? Like physicality wise, it's a bit more fast paced. Um, so do you have any concerns that he'll be able to adapt? Or have you seen enough of him that he's just going to find kind of the, the transition relatively easy? I think he might take a few months to find his footing and to truly show what he's capable of. But I do think that he has that, that the, the natural ability and that dedication to work hard. I think that combo really makes really makes a difference and I think he'll relish the the fight to prove himself so I think within a year or two he'll already be showing why the the investment was so high 
with Newcastle and, and new signings, they, they scout them extensively. They, they're putting a lot of work into making sure that the player isn't just good on the pitch, but away from the pitch, their, their attitude and their fitting with the squad. Um, is there anything that you think Newcastle will have pinpointed? I don't want to use the word weakness, but but something that can be improved in, in Tenali's game or whether it be his attitude. Is there anything that you think Newcastle will, will look to work on on him with? I think they might try and work on his his goal-scoring ability. He's not really the most prolific scorer. And obviously, he's not been signed to score a lot of goals. But there is something by, by having a midfielder that can charge into the box and make that final touch. Uh, we obviously saw with, with Frank Lampard in, in recent memory. And his inability, I think, to regularly score will probably be something they'll try and iron out and, and allow him to to grow in confidence and feel like he can take that shot and actually find the back of the net. Yeah, something that Newcastle, I think, will be working on with all their the midfield players. They need a few more goals coming from from the likes of Joe Willick and, and Joe Linton and even Bruno to a certain degree. Uh, on the question then, Apollo, Newcastle United fans, Newcastle United feel like this is a real statement sign and this is a this is a big splash in the, in the transfer market. Do you subscribe to that? Yeah, my my impression of the situation is this is the the signing that that really shows that this is this is different now. Newcastle aren't just going to to be fighting outside the top six or, or top seven, but will instead regularly be in that Champions League conversation. And I wouldn't be surprised if in two or three years Newcastle missing out on a top four spot would be something that that would be questioned. It would be what is happening to, to the project because now it seems like that the steam is really really behind this and i would not be surprised to see five or ten years maybe less even you know newcastle in the title race or really looking like they're in a position to to start picking up silverware semi-regularly yeah fingers crossed our listeners would, would certainly love that and i think it's fair to say without newcastle qualifying for the champions league that this deal probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, my, my final question to you, Paulo, is about his leadership uh, capabilities. We know that Eddie Howe has this leadership group within Newcastle, and you know while Kieran Trippier is the the, the, the captain on the pitch, you have Jamal sells off the pitch, and you have other leaders as well who who step up when when needed, the likes of Dan Byrne, Bruno, Bruno Joe Linton. You know, there's a real big group of loud voices and uh, but people who work together they understand the standards that this, the manager sets they understand the importance of, of of giving their all to the club do you think it, it you know it might not happen straight away but in time could you see Tenali being part of that leadership group and even potentially in the years to come maybe in your castinated captain I definitely could see that he did seem like uh, a Milan captain in the waiting for sure and he clearly showed already at 23 his his leadership capabilities at, at Milan. He's already sort of started to grow into that on-pitch leader. But his time with Italy has shown that he's also not the type of player to be egotistical. So if there are those other leaders, he's not going to try and to compete with them or to try and show why he should be ahead of them, for example, in a hierarchy. And I think that is a very attractive uh, aspect of his game is that ability to be the leader when he needs to be, but not this burning desire to always be the leader. So he's not going to upset any harmony in the squad, I don't think. 
There'll be music to the ears of our listeners. And just finally, before you sign off, I'm going to ask you uh, for a prediction. If we were to speak in a year's time, uh, what do you think Sandro Tonali may have achieved on, on, on Tyneside? Will he have impressed, do you think, the Newcastle United fans? I think he'll have definitely shown enough for them to be happy to keep seeing him. And I think there's a good chance, but I would say it's impossible to say with much more likelihood that he'll be a real star within a year and that he'll instantly show uh, why he is so exciting to, to have in the squad. Sort of like, as you said, Bruno Gimadesh made such an impact so quickly. And I think it wouldn't be surprising to see Tonali do the same. But regardless, I think it will be a positive year for him and, and for the fans. Superb, fingers crossed. Apollo, thank you very much for joining us on the Everything is Black and White podcast. Uh, feel free to tell our listeners where they can find you on, on social media and where they can read your work. Uh, yeah, check me out on, on Twitter, Apollo Hayes, uh, Hayes with an E. And yeah, enjoy, enjoy the season, really. Uh, good luck with everything. It's an exciting time for, for all the fans and interesting to see what happens in the next few years. It certainly is. Uh, thank you once again, Apollo, for joining us. To you guys listening, please hit that follow button on your podcast provider and leave us a rating and review. And head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. Mm-hmm.